Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And as of yesterday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we had the final day of the period of illumination, of light, of revelation that started back on the Feast of the Nativity of our Lord. This past week, we celebrated the Feast of the Encounter of our Lord in the temple with Simeon and Anna, also called the Presentation. And at one time in the church, it was called the Purification of Mary. But the emphasis really is on Christ and his encounter with Simeon. The last of the observances that have to do with light, incarnation, illumination. And now we begin another form of illumination, actually, but it's accompanied with another word, sadness. We call the period we're entering into now as of today, actually at Vespers today, which begins the new day. We call this the bright sadness. Bright another bit of illumination there, and sadness. It's sadness because this is the penitential period of Lent, the great Lent, the great fast, the flowering of repentance, as we say in the Eastern churches. And the brightness comes from the fact that as we repent, as we purify ourselves through the rigors, the ascetical rigors of fasting and prayer and charity, we grow in holiness. Our souls become lighter and enlightened, less encumbered by the darkness of our fallen passions, of all the things that we take on that we really don't need. It's really a time of purifying the body and the soul, and that opens us up, something like a window, like a window shade, to the light of Tabor, becoming holy, being more radiant, the light of Christ coming into us. And so there is this bright sadness, and again, characteristic of the Eastern spirituality, where we always live in the both and, in the intersection of two complementary realities, brightness and sadness. It is the brightness of our growth and holiness as we strip away the excesses, 
move beyond the tyranny of our fallen passions. So there's two complementary emotions or states that are going on. If we observe and understand this period of the fast, of the great fast, the great Lent correctly, we might ask ourselves, well, why such an emphasis on fasting? Well, here we have another indication of what I like to promote on this program, the riches of the Eastern churches. In other words, gifts that are relevant today from the East, especially in the Western culture. Our modern Western culture has become very indulgent, very narcissistic on many levels, very prone to entitlement, to focusing inward towards ourselves. We take on a lot. We indulge a lot. We eat too much. We drink too much. We do a lot of things in a way that are too much. We don't always realize this, but if we step back from it, as we do during Lent, you get a better perspective. You actually see how much stuff we take on in our world, in our lives, both psychologically, spiritually, and physically. Stuff that we really don't need. It does not contribute to our growth and holiness. We don't even realize it. It's just a way of life for us. So Lent enables us to step back and to be honest with ourselves, to see things much more objectively in a much more healthy way. And and fasting also enables us to develop a discipline which, again, is very unpopular and difficult in our culture. And that is the ability to say to ourselves, no, to die to our wants and our passions. And it's not that our passions are bad. Our passions in themselves are actually good. They are our desire for what is good and for what we need, like food. But also, above all, they're a desire for God. And because of original sin, those passions, those great, powerful things that move us towards God have become fallen. And so they develop their own tyranny. As we all know, whenever we try to lose weight or abstain or actually follow through on New Year's resolutions, which were made just not too long ago, right? And probably already broken (laughs) because it's difficult. This is called asceticism. Because we have to work against the tyranny, and it is a tyranny of our fallen passions. And fasting helps us to do that. Now, the period of fasting in the Eastern liturgical calendar during Lent is 40 days. Now, the 40 days, though, begins, as I mentioned this evening, with the beautiful Vespers of Forgiveness. It's a ceremony of mutual forgiveness in which we actually ask forgiveness of one another during the ceremony. And that actually begins Lent. The 40 days then are counted from then straight through to Lazarus Saturday. In other words, the day before Palm Sunday. It's a little bit different in the Latin rite. But in the Eastern lung of the church, the 40 days in most Eastern churches goes straight from this evening all the way through to just before Palm Sunday. And then Palm Sunday begins its own week. It's a separate fast in itself. In fact, the fasting that is done during Holy Week you know, that week after Palm Sunday, between Palm Sunday and Easter, that Holy Week, which we also call Great Week or Week of the Bridegroom in the Eastern churches, that week had a separate fast. It was actually a separate preparation in the early church. Later on, there was also the preparation of the catechumenate for their baptism, which normally would happen on the vigil of Holy Saturday. And what eventually happened in the church after about the fourth century is that these two fasting periods that were separate basically became united in the period of Lent and Holy Week. Forty days of fasting and increased prayer and charity, 40 days before Palm Sunday, and then a week of its own kind of ascetical discipline. The number 40 is arrived at largely because of the Bible, incidences in the Bible of fasting. 
The people of Israel spent 40 days in the wilderness. Remember Exodus chapter 16. Moses remained fasting for 40 days on Mount Sinai. That's in Exodus chapter 34. And Elijah abstained from all food for 40 days as he journeyed to Mount Horeb. That's in the first book of Kings chapter 19. But we come into the New Testament, and most important of all, Christ fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness as he was being tempted by the devil. And that was early on, before he began his ministry. He was tempted by the devil. This is Matthew chapter 4. But there are incidences as well, also in the New Testament, such as in the Acts of the Apostles. And fasting became a norm in the Christian spirituality. It was in the Old Testament and became a norm in Christianity itself. Now we ask ourselves, okay, how do we fast? Well, there is the traditional, what I would call the traditional or strict practices of fasting, which are very ancient. And there's also the lesser ones, which are usually given in terms of directives by each bishop of each eparchy in the Eastern churches. So in other words, the bishop will send out what are the minimal requirements for Lent for the people of his eparchy. Eparchy is the word for diocese in the Eastern churches. However, you may embrace the traditional fast, the full-blown fast, and I'm going to describe it to you. And I'll be referring from time to time today from a couple of books. One of those is a classic that's been with us here in Light of the East for a long time. A classic, the Lenten Trillion by Callistus Ware, a great Orthodox figure and theologian. And also, there's another book I highly recommend to you, another classic by, it's also an Orthodox priest. His name is Alexander Schmemann. He is deceased, but Alexander Schmemann wrote a book called The Great Lent. And it is a classic a wonderful spiritual reading for the Lenten period. Callistus Ware describes in great detail the traditional or strict fast, the rules of fasting. Once we start this week, because we've already been doing some fasting up until now. We had meat fair, and today is cheese fair. In other words, we gave up meat last week. That was our Mardi Gras. This week, we're giving up cheese and dairy products so that we've moved into this fast in a gradual way so that as strict as it is, we're not going just cold turkey. It doesn't really do us any good. You have to move into these things. So on the first week, fasting goes like this. In the course of the five initial days of Lent, only two meals are eaten, one on Wednesday and the other on Friday, in both cases after the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts. You see, in the Eastern churches, we don't celebrate the regular Eucharistic liturgy during the week, or as Latin-right Catholics would know it as the Mass. However, we do have Eucharist. We receive Eucharist, an elaborate service, which combines Vespers with the, basically it's the adoration, benediction, as the Latins might know it, and distribution of Eucharist. In other words, it's a Eucharistic service, Eucharistic distribution, along with Vespers. But the gifts, the bread, has been already been pre-consecrated at a previous liturgy on the weekend. So during the week, we don't have the regular Eucharistic celebration. So on the other three days, those who have the strength are encouraged to keep an absolute fast. So how about that? (laughs) Those for whom this proves impractical may eat on Tuesday and Thursday, but not, if possible, on Monday. So Monday, strict fast for everybody. No meat, no dairy products. But you may eat on Tuesdays and Thursdays in this first week in the evening after Vespers, when they may take bread and water or perhaps tea or fruit juice, but not a cooked meal. It should be added at once that in practice today, these rules are commonly relaxed, as I mentioned earlier. At the meals on Wednesday and Friday, xerophagy is prescribed. 
Now, that means dry eating. It's a Greek word, which means dry eating. And this means that we eat only vegetables cooked with water and salt, and also such things as fruits, nuts, bread, and honey. In practice, octopus and shellfish are also allowed on days of xerophagy. Likewise, vegetable margarine and corn or other vegetable oil not made from olives. But the following categories of food are definitely excluded during this first week of Lent. Meat, animal products, which means cheese, milk, butter, eggs, lard, and fish, or especially fish with a backbone. So you can have shellfish, but not fish with a backbone. And oil and wine. In other words, actually all alcoholic drinks. So these are some of the strict requirements for the strict tradition of fasting in the Eastern churches during this period of the Great Fast. We're going to talk more about this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. As a married couple, how would you like to give each other the gift of love itself? Then this is for you. Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya, and I am inviting husbands and wives to join me and the team of the Tabor Life Institute at St. Nicholas Parish in Munster, Indiana on Saturday, February 27th, and at St. Basil's Parish in Sterling Heights, Michigan on Saturday, April 30th for Embracing the Mystery, a day of recollection for married couples. Our presentation weds together the sacramental liturgical worldview of Byzantine spirituality and St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body to rediscover the why of marriage so as to know the how of a happy sacramental marriage. We will also integrate what goes on in church with what should go on in our homes. For information and to register, visit TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Or call 708-645-0762. 708-645-0762. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you.
Welcome back to Light of the East. I am your host, Father Thomas Loya, and we're talking about fasting, the great fast, because we have entered that period in the Eastern liturgical calendar as of this evening, after the very moving and meaningful Vespers of Forgiveness. It's also called the Service of the Expulsion of Adam from Paradise, or also Cheese Fair Vespers. Because during that service, we actually take on the posture, especially the priest, as he stands before the icon screen, which separates the nave from the sanctuary. We take on the posture of Adam and Eve, having been cast out of paradise, and the gates are closed. And we sing these mournful hymns and chants in front of the icon screen, which bars our way into the sanctuary, which we refer to as the Holy of Holies. So you see how the liturgy immerses us in the scriptures. In fact, Lent really is a, is a very intense and rich return to the scripture. It's really our return to our biblical roots through the liturgy and the practices of Lent. St. John Chrysostom, a great saint of the Byzantine Church, one of the fathers of the church and authors of our main liturgy, said this about fasting. The value of fasting consists not in abstinence only from food, but in a relinquishment of sinful practices. Since he who limits his fasting only to an abstinence from meat is he who especially disparages it. Do you fast? Give me proof of it by your works. If you see a poor man, take pity on him. If you see a friend enjoying honor, do not envy him. For let not the mouth only fast, but also the eye and the ear and the feet and the hands and all the members of our bodies. Let the hands fast by being pure from avarice. Let the feet fast by ceasing from running to forbidden spectacles. Let the eyes fast by being taught never to fix themselves rudely upon handsome countenances. For looking is the food of the eyes, but if it be unlawful or forbidden, it mars the fast and overturns the safety of the soul. But if it be lawful and safe, it adorns fasting. For it would be an instance of the highest absurdity to abstain from meats and from unlawful food because of the fast, but with the eyes to feed on what is forbidden. Do you not eat flesh? Do not feed on licentiousness by means of the eyes. Let the ear fast also. The fasting of the ear is not to receive evil speaking and calumnies. You shall not receive an out of report, it says. Let also the mouth fast from foul words. For what does it profit? If we abstain from birds and fish, and yet bite and devour our brethren. These are the words of St. John Chrysostom in his Lenten homily. So if you can see from this, fasting really is about not just a physical discipline. It's not just a, some kind of gymnastic. It has to do with basically our soul, our spirit, our whole person. You know, we are psychosomatic beings. We work with body, soul, spirit together. So what we do for one, we do for the other. So fasting enables us to be more disciplined spiritually. And one of the reasons we focus on food is because food is a very strong desire. Let's face it, it's a strong passion of ours. And so if we can break that tyranny of food, of hunger, if we can say no to that yearning in our stomach, that nagging, if we can do that, we can say no to a lot of other things that are not good for us spiritually. The key is to work up to this gradually, but to hang in there, especially if you're going to embrace the strict fast as we described it before the break today, because it's hard and your body will, boy, it'll, it'll show you, it'll try to show you who's boss. It'll really agitate you. 
And you're going to want to cave and give in. You're going to go, oh, gee, I just I'm starving. Wish I had something. But, you know, that's when you hang in there and you hang in there with increased prayer and charity. You turn your thoughts outside of yourself. And what's going to happen is, and this is really something, it's like magical. You will break that power of your stomach. You'll break that power of your own hunger. You really will. You'll cross a threshold and you'll come to a point when, hmm, food just doesn't impress you that much as it used to. I mean, yeah, we need it. And see, that's the point. That's the point for even after Lent. We don't go rushing back to what we fasted from during Lent, no matter what it is or whatever we gave up. And it's not just food, it's other things as well. We go back to them, if at all, of course, we have to go back to food, but other things we gave up, we don't even have to go back to them. But if we go back to them at all, we do so with a new kind of moderation or freedom that those things no longer rule us. We don't have to have it. We don't say, whew, got through Lent, now I can go back and indulge again. That defeats the point. The point of the rigors of Lent is to bring us across that threshold where the tyranny of these things no longer rules us. These are all really what I would call false gods that we have in our life. A false god is anything that we allow to have power over us, even in a small way. Food cravings, things we think we can't go without. We break the power of those things, and it's very freeing. It's amazing. We become, once again, more of a master of our own bodies with, of course, the help of God's grace. Now, you heard John Chrysostom talk about abstinence on other levels. In fact, he said, with every part of the body, it is recommended even for married couples that they too abstain from sexual relations. Now, I know a lot of people take a gasp of breath when they hear that, but it has long been the church's teaching that during the seasons of fasting, married couples should try to live as brother and sister. Now, this in no way is signifying there's something lesser or bad about sexual relations within marriage or sinful or dirty or bad in themselves. In fact, the very service that we chant and pray this week called the Great Canon of San Andrew de Crete says this, Marriage is honorable and the marriage bed undefiled. For on both Christ has given his blessing, eating in the flesh at the wedding in Cana, turning water into wine and revealing his first miracle. So the absence of married couples has as its aim not the suppression but the purification of sexuality. As Archimandrite Callistus Ware says in his book The Lenten Trodian, such abstinence practiced with mutual consent for a time has always had the positive aim that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Self-restraint, so far from indicating a dualist depreciation of the body, serves on the contrary to confer upon the sexual side of marriage a spiritual dimension which might otherwise be absent. Now this is something actually that is woven into the spirituality behind the church's teaching on natural family planning as against contraception. Yes, the church's teaching on natural family planning is actually a certain practice of this kind of asceticism. It's actually the monastic dimension in the marriage of a couple. And anytime we do that, as you just heard from the words of Callistus Ware, anytime we do that, what we're doing is we're proclaiming the goodness of something, not saying that it's bad, so we have to run away from it, give it up. It's precisely because it's good that we give it up or step back from it to get 
a renewed perspective, to purify it, to come back toward it with an ever deeper appreciation of its sacramentality, its incarnational dimension. This is very much the message of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, for instance, which is very, very similar to the mystical spirituality of the Eastern churches, especially when it comes to the human body and human sexuality. And in fact, in the Eastern churches where we have a married clergy, the married priests and his wife were also expected to abstain. And actually, the night prior to the priest celebrating Eucharist, as well as the other fasting periods. So this element of asceticism, of abstinence, even sexual abstinence, is woven into every aspect of the life of the Eastern Christian, whether you're a priest, a celibate, married priest, layperson, married couple, because it is a way of rediscovering the eschatological dimension of life, of marriage, of sexuality, of priesthood, and so on. But as always, fasting must be accompanied by increased prayer and charity. We'll be looking at some of those things in the next several weeks of this period of the Great Fast. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!